Sometimes in life you look at a piece of media and think, what the hell were they thinking? But it's not often that you get to say it twice in a row. Vertigo, a bygone DC Comics imprint with an unfathomable impact on the history of comics as we know them. Home to many creators and their famous works, like Moore and Total Ben with Swamp Thing, or Ennis and Dylan with Preacher. But in a sea of incredible books, some books get lost to the annals of time. Seemingly long-lost entries in the bibliographies of some of the biggest names in comics are left floating in the backrooms of Read Comics Online, waiting for someone to stumble upon them. Sometimes, those books receive a second life, repackaged and peddled for a variety of reasons, all leading to the same result, new eyes on old books. With the boon of time and fresh eyes, we can look back on these old works and either revel in their glory or wonder what the hell were, were they, they thinking? thinking? Welcome back to Midnight Grappler Animals, the home of Flub Nation. I'm your host, Lan, and with me, I've got a man that some refer to as Huey Magoo, but here we call him Salt and Bank. Salt, I'm, so I always have a, a big issue with myself whenever I'm recording one of these. I always worry about if I'm not like high energy enough you know i'm worried if uh, i'm coming across as low energy but today today specifically i got a lot of energy i got a lot of room in me to hate yeah i'm seeing it like the the red particles and waves flowing off of goku when he first went ko ken like i'm visualizing that yeah yeah that's where i'm at right now and you know the great thing is it's not just us two today uh we actually have a third voice in the chat uh do you want to introduce yourself, Third Voice? Hello, I'm Third Voice, a.k.a. Um, Surge, a.k.a. Fantomas on Twitter. How's it going? We're doing good, man. Good. How are you today? Yeah, we're chilling. I'm good. I'm ready to get into this. these two bizarre comics. Um, you know, <laughs> I guess that's the way to put it nicely. So actually, let's lead into what is your experience with Morrison's comics to spoil things just a little bit. I'm actually relatively new to Morrison. Um, I always started reading them over the quarantines because I was like, well, I was bored and I was like, I've read most of Alan Moore. I should probably read the other person that everyone like credits modern comics to. Um, and um, so I jumped in with Doom Patrol because I was really liking the show and I kind of went from there. So um, I've read quite a bit of Morrison at this point, but I'm not like, I don't have the long-time loyalty a lot of people do have with Morrison. Nice. What about you, Salt? I have read Morrison for over 10 years. I think I started it in high school. And, like, Grant Morrison was my guy. 
if I if I go a little confessional mode here, I was even like styling myself after Grant Morrison in like high school. Wait, what? Yeah, I was like, like hard. Like, like, do you mean do you mean like fashion wise or? Yeah, yeah. Shave your head. Oh damn. Yeah, both both of those things. Fashion wise, shaving my head, like looking into the same philosophies. Like I wanted to be Grant Morrison. <laughs> Damn, you didn't tell me any of this before we started. I didn't know if I wanted to <laughs> cop to this it. This is a shock to me. This is a Deep confession right now. This is crazy. This this casts a whole new light on what we're about to do. It, well, I want to be authentic and vulnerable. And, you mm. know, uh, Grant's work was really personal to me. Uh, there, I can get more into it later, but... There was a lot philosophically that that spoke to me, and I was probably the worst kind of Grant Morrison fanboy. Oh no! Oh no! But I, I mean, go ahead, Serge. I was gonna say, I mean, like I probably was the same way with Alan Moore. I I don't think <laughs> I don't think you can like be a teenager in the comics and not be semi obnoxious. Like it's period. required. Yeah, that's, like that, it's like I mean, it's like a rite of passage. Seen Twitter. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> The props is that you got through it versus a lot of people who are still in it. And that's, that, so that's, true, dude. that's the difference. You're, you're so right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, getting through it is, is what this is about. I mean, Grant's said and written a few things over the years that I am definitely not in the same place I was. And uh, this is a sort of reappraisal or a reckoning of sorts, this episode. <laughs> Um, I get, last thing you know specific to these works is um, Vimana Rama. One of the books we'll be covering today was something I'd heard about and wanted to cover. I stumbled upon it in my local comic shop for like a dollar, and I was like, "Fuck it, Damn. I'll read." Yeah, I picked it up. I was like, "I always wanted to read this," and uh, it was a comic. It was definitely a comic. It is definitely a comic. <laughs> yep, it's, it's definitely one of the comics of all time. But finishing it, I remembered, oh, hey, uh, this artist Morrison collabed with Philip Bond also worked on Morrison with Kill Your Boyfriend, which when I, when I was like 20, I thought was like this genius vertigo work. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as Stan the Man said, enough said. <laughs> it was all history from there yeah <laughs> i think for me my first touch with morrison's work was around the time that i started getting into comics so this was like around 2007 2008 i was like 11 years old i think when i found a copy of earth 2 in in my library and you know again i'm, I'm a shithead little 11 year old reading through this book you know you, you're look quietly's art is definitely what drew me to it but you know like that was my first real taste of morrison's work and i sort of you know got to know the whole deal with with uh their collaboration specifically uh with quietly and morrison so then i read all-star superman after that and it's never i i don't think i've ever had a, a strong connection to morrison's work at least not in the sense that i never shaved my head to style or styled myself like morrison but uh you know it, it's it's been a very like passive you know like this is this is some good work you know i'm i'm reading this is some good work 
And I think for me, that sort of shifted around 2020, because that's when I started going on Twitter about comics and starting to see, you know, like the, the sort of fervor that people online tend to have about Morrison's work and sort of the high regard they they hold it in. So the past couple of years have sort of been me reckoning with that and sort of wondering where that sort of admiration comes from. And, you know, like when I was in high school, I always heard about the battles between Morrison and Moore and I never, I was never into that kind of stuff. I don't know if you two were, but. I mean, um, I, I, that's funny you ask because, because I was such a Grant Morrison stan once I learned about like the like rivalry between the two, I I had liked Moore previously, but then I was like, oh fuck Alan Moore, he like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. I think me and Serge might have like come to blows if we had met, and like you wouldn't have been, yeah, it wouldn't have been you instigating it. I would have been like just the the fucking like the catalyst. I would be like, what dude? What you don't have the correct comics opinions? I would just be in the sidelines, just holding my hands behind my head, <laughs> just wondering what the fuck was going on. I don't, uh, but I don't think I knew enough about comics to like have that opinion. I mean, like I knew about Morrison and Moore having beef, but I didn't know enough mm. about Morrison and like all my money, what limited funds I had as a teen were going to buy more comics. So I was like, you know, like that's where it stopped. Wizard magazine had kind of not been a thing anymore either. So, you know, like, which, you know, it's kind of a bummer, like how much more fun would it have been if Wizard Magazine was still around during that, during a lot of that? Oh, that'd be so tight. Yeah. That would have been so amazing. But, you know, that's what it was. We're never going to get something like the uh, Todd McFarlane, (coughs) uh, Peter David fight out of the more. Yeah, exactly. But uh, actually, before we move on with anything, I think we should address a, not necessarily an elephant in the room, but uh, just sort of a disclaimer, I guess. Because, you know, with the topic of more, uh, obviously, this is <laughs> this is actually something that we sort of not really run afoul of. But I guess with the with the Seth Jacob episode, Seth, bless your heart. We That's haven't we haven't run afoul. I think there's been a really big uh, miscommunication in like the comics community, and I, I think it's a lot of people trying to operate out of good faith here. It really all just takes a, a clarification and being a little less online for all parties. Do you mind if I read these? Yeah, uh, quotes? go for it. Go for it. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, this is from uh, an interview in the Times with Grant Morrison. Uh, so the the writer of this article says. In the author blurb of the American edition of Grant Morrison's novel Luna, Morrison uses the pronoun they, a description applied to him after an interview which he now sees as akin to an honorary degree. In the interview, this is Grant talking, in the interview, I said that if I had been doing now what I was doing back in the 1990s, I would be viewed as non-binary or genderqueer. Suddenly, it was taken up by the fan press, and I was awarded the label they, them. I never asked for it. I come from a generation where that just doesn't matter. Even being labeled at all is anathema to me. I can't live in a box. I'm going to let down anyone who sticks a label on me. It will drop off quite naturally. 
Now you hear that, and Mor Morrison says that, and it's really clear. Morrison does not care whether you say they, them, or he, him. I have transgender friends. They're pretty adamant about what pronouns they want you to use. So for me, it's just a little odd to see these fans like constantly popping up in people's replies saying, you gotta say they, them. You gotta say they, them. It's, he it's not he, him. It's like... Dude, your heart is in the right place, but like this is not the right battlefield. This this one actually doesn't matter. So there's there's been nothing like running counter to that since no interviews or anything, you know, saying that actually I do use or you know, Morrison does use they them pronouns. Morrison uses they them, but like doesn't ask for it, like is fine okay. with he him. Like this this article, the reason I was emphasizing the he is the article says he, like Grant is like endorsing the article. Like, there's net Morrison never said like I don't use he him anymore. Grant says I accepted they them. There's another interview where Grant says, "Oh, it was this badge of honor. Sure, I'm into it." But it's that's quite different than your trans friend who says, "Hey, like this is what I want to be called." That's a different thing. Mm. So yeah, I'm just saying like I'll probably switch between they them he him like. If someone listens to this and thinks I'm being transphobic, like fuck off. This is this not this is not that situation. Before we go any further, it's it's just that this isn't like us trying to justify anything. But I figured, you know, like with the with the topic at hand, I think it, it's it's a good thing to bring up. I guess. Um. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not a deliberate thing, and I think that's like, you know, trying to acknowledge it and being like, I mean, obviously, like, you know, I'm a cis man so i can't be like well my opinion too you know but like um i do think like there is a point of like you know this isn't malicious and i think that's like right. important to like note if this speaking happens or right. yeah. just shifts yeah no like, I, I get what people are trying to do but like it it becomes this I hate to use this word virtue signaling, but like it, it's it's not even that. It's like it's it's taking good energies that would be better spent elsewhere, if that makes sense. Yeah, like That's making true. fun of these comics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we keep saying these comics, these comics, but we we've only referred to one. So we might actually we've referred to both. So we might as well talk a bit more about them. The two comics we're talking about today are Kill Your Boyfriend and Vimanorama. Both are done by Morrison and Philip Bond. Um, both at <laughs> have come out at different points in both of their careers. Uh, and for some godforsaken reason, DC thought it would be a great idea to bundle them together in one book in 2016. Uh, and I guess that is like half the reason why we're doing both books? Or is it just because... No, I, I, I didn't know that when we, oh, when we started. Okay. This. Amazing. But it, it's fortuitous, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they because the thing is, it's very difficult to bundle either of these, you know, like individually. So I guess it does make sense why they would do it, but it's still a funny assortment. Uh, just because of there, there are some similarities between the two, which we'll we'll get into. Well, yeah, you've got so on, you know obviously Morrison, but Philip Bond as well. Right. So do we want to jump right into Kill Your Boyfriend then? I did want to point out. I'm sorry. I did want to point out like, Bornsack Pizza Show is like one of the editors on this, and I found that like really really funny actually. Even though like I knew he was the editor of Vertigo, it's just funny to like 
think that he was had to deal with this and like you know has got on the right. Which one was it? Was it Vamanorama or Killer? It's just at the very front of this collection, so I'm guessing he must have had his no, both. Because I, I remember seeing it in one, but I forget which one it was. I think it might have. It been says original series, but yeah. Do you so, mind saying that name again? I'm I'm unfamiliar with this person. Porn sack peaches show. He wrote the Gadation. Oh, okay. I know the that. Boy that detectives. So, like, funny. that's what makes it even funnier to me. Is <laughs> like that. Like, yeah. He went on to write that. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's jump in yeah. to Kill Your Boyfriend. Um, okay. So, just a quick, quick uh, overview with this. Um, this is a one shot released in 95 through Vertigo under the Vertigo Voices line. Um, they, Morrison and Bond. Uh, had collab before, went on to collab again, obviously. They had collaborated on Doom Patrol. Um, Lan, you wrote something here about Ryan Hughes. I actually don't know who that is. Ryan Hughes is a designer, um, has worked on multiple Morrison stuff, or Morrison things, I should say. Um, Morrison's book, Super Gods, uh, the design work on that was done by Ryan Hughes. Ryan Hughes is just... I, I thought I'd had a bigger point with this, but I I just <laughs> written it down and forgotten it was there. Um, oh. Yeah, we can we can move on. <laughs> yeah, all good. I mean, he's also spun out and done his own books now, so it's kind of fun to see yeah, like that, that. I guess. Yeah the this the universe that's being created out of these these books is interesting. Uh, Bond is uh, doing on this. He's doing this book around the same time he's working on Tank Girl, so you can kind of place the work around that era uh grant is writing this book at the same time that he's starting the invisibles i think jla has probably gotten off the ground yet you can check me on that if i'm not right no jla would have been another two years all right yeah but grant has done some mainstream superhero stuff at this point i think that's worth pointing out because this is a departure in tone doom patrol animal man those have both come out it's a very like early to intermediate stage in Morrison's career, I'd say. Yeah. And speaking of that stage, I feel it's going to be really relevant as we get through this, that Grant writes this at 34. Yes, 34 years old. You just sit on that, remember that number. Just think about what what the average (laughs) 34-year-old does. You know, like, at what point in their life they're at when they're at 34 you know the mindset sort of again at 34 in 1995 just keep that in mind keep that store that in the back of your head (laughs) um so i can do a real easy synopsis of this book because we'll we'll break down some of the bigger plot points within later but uh basically uh girl meets boy girl is uh average middle class high schooler she's pretty frustrated with her her middle class life boy is a uh, roguish ruffian they uh, hit it off right away boy says oh man your life sucks we should kill your boyfriend they kill the girl's boyfriend they go on a crime spree and uh boy gets uh killed by the cops that's that's basically it i mean Fuck you if you wanted a spoiler warning. This book has been out for like 30 years. Um, it, it says all that in the back pretty much anyway. Maybe maybe not the boyfriend getting killed. But um, yeah, because I mean, of... you, I think it's fair to assume that, you know, in a book called Kill Your Boyfriend, 
a boyfriend will be killed. At least you know, one. like I, at least one, right? <laughs> yeah, you you deserve at least that much. Um, so in the the back, there we're not going to skip around a lot, but it's it's worth skipping to the afterward because critics have compared this story to Natural Born Killers. Uh, I want to come back to that for a second, but Lan, I know you wanted to address Natural Born Killers a bit. Yeah, I mean, Natural Born Killers by Oliver Stone came out the year before. Um, so I guess that's why it was fresh on everyone's mind at the time. And it's, it's weird to see the comparisons there. Cause I can see why they would make those comparisons, you know, like the boy meets girl goes on a crime screen thing. But I think insofar as how both pieces of media handle that, like that, that sort of paradigm, it, it, they're, it's apples and oranges, I think. And also, I just think that Natural Born Killers is much better than this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there is that. Yeah. So you know, getting out right away, even though it's like around the same time, it's it's a coincidence. And I totally believe Morrison saying that it's not Natural Born Killers. Morrison yeah. then goes on to attribute another film as the primary inspiration, which this is such a fucking flub. <laughs> so it, what it says in the afterward is. I was inspired by this movie Heartlands starring Michael Sheen, but it could not have been the movie Heartlands because that comes out in 2002. Remember, this book comes out in like 94, 95. And what, that afterward is written in 98. Which is yeah. Weird. It's very fucking strange that that, ha I, don't, I don't even know how that happens. But what Morrison is obviously trying to say is the movie Badlands by Terrence Malick, which comes out in the 1970s. Yep, and that one stars Martin Sheen, not Michael Sheen. Has anyone here Which seen is, it? I, I, no, uh, Badlands. Yeah, I have seen it. It's it's good. It, yeah, yeah. You see it, Serge? <laughs> um, I haven't actually. Um, I don't watch many, many Terrence Malick films, but yeah, I don't have anything against them. I just don't sit through. I mean, Malick is great for you know if I'm having trouble sleeping. But Badlands was good. Yeah. Badlands was good. Um, yeah, I'll I'll check it out at some point. I'm sure, but haven't yet. All right, so that's that's kind of the background you need on the book. Let's uh let's dive in. There's a convention that comes up right away with fourth wall breaking where girl is constantly talking to the reader. And uh how do you guys feel about that? I think it was done very sloppily. <laughs> Search. I mean, it felt like um the melodramatic teen type things that were typical of that era. And like every TV yeah. show was doing that, every movie was doing that, like when teen. So it just felt like this is Morrison kind of leaning into the teen genre at this point. Yeah, it's the same year that Clueless came out, I guess. So I'm not sure how much influence that had at all. But mm -hmm. yeah, the vibe, I guess, is is there. It's it's for me. What's most notable is it's. I, I've never thought Morrison is good at writing young women. I think he can do okay with like. Adult women. women in general, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but like a lot of these writers in their mid thirties are like, let me write teenagers. And it's like, <laughs> what, what, why, why? Like, <laughs> so girl is never named boys, never named it's, it's intentionally nameless. And it's, it's meant to be like this, this could happen anywhere in Britain. Uh, yeah. 
I, the nicest thing I can say about this book is I really loved Bond's art. I, I really yeah. like an artist who can commit to like a thick black outline. And uh, he, I almost want to describe his work as almost polygonal. I don't mean that in like a PlayStation sense. I mean like he really It's works. very angular. Yeah. 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 I, I yeah. really love that. It, it jives with me. What about you guys? Yeah, I, I really liked Bond's art in this one. Um, you know, he's inked by Disraeli in this one, um, which he's not in the next book. But in this one, I think the inks, as well as Daniel Votto's colors, work really, really well. Um, it's a good conjunction. I think it's aged pretty well. Um, and yeah, like the, the faces are all very, very expressive. I like how much Bond commits to sort of the cartoonishness of various expressions uh throughout and yeah like this was around the same time he was doing tank girl which is like it's it's interesting to, to juxtapose the two knowing that those were coming out in the same year Serge, what about you um yeah i like it i think it's also neat because it starts off like feeling very hyper realistic almost and then kind of like starts slowly getting more and more unhinged and almost unreal in some ways too. And I think that really kind of like carries the story in some ways because, you know, there's a lot of dialogue on every page. And, um, you know, the art the art is just kind of like, it, it it's good. It just doesn't interrupt a lot. So it lets you kind of just absorb what's going on in a, in a very easy way. It's really expressive. And that was probably why 20-year-old me thought there was a lot more going on in this book than there was. Um, so one of the like first kind of uh, windows we get into girl's mind is there's this panel that she, where, where she's kind of imagining what she'll do to vent out her frustrations. And she's, she's in her underwear and she's got this gun and she's like slaughtered the whole room. Uh, it's something I definitely want to come back to later in terms of her characterization, what the book is trying to do there. But what I got from this is I can really see the influence of Lindsay Anderson on Grant Morrison. I know Morrison is hugely influenced by the films of Lindsay Anderson. Morrison even references, uh, I think it's either Oh Lucky Man or If is inspiration for, I think, Bruce or the Joker's smile in Arkham Asylum. But th th what I'm saying is there is a film with like kids like shooting up like going crazy and like kind of shooting up not their school but they're doing a shooting at their school and i i this imagery really evokes that for me yeah i can see yeah, that it, it, it's yeah i mean it's funny to see it i guess in hindsight now because this was like four years before columbine this was before you know like school shootings had really become I don't know, like a regular happenstance, I guess. A norm. Is that, is that a norm, yeah. I guess? Or something, yeah, something that we yeah. hadn't been... Dis yeah, something that we, I guess, the people in general hadn't become sort of desensitized to yet. So, like, it, it sort of is meant to evoke this sort of, like, extreme idea. Also, the other thing is, again, this is happening in the UK. So, having like a, a girl in her underwear you know having shot up a school it, it's very much supposed to be like this this transgressive idea inside this girl's mind and uh, you know like bond's art here is done very well like keeping her in the foreground and then the colors also being muted um 
so yeah, like it, it, I can see how it would be very transgressive in 1995. Um, reading it now, uh, it doesn't, <laughs> it hits differently in a, in a, not necessarily a, a good way, I'd say. Yeah, I, I think that, that the context for time is pretty important. Yeah, I was thinking about that myself with the, like the post Columbine era. I'm like, ooh, this is this, this feels very weird. And again, reminding like the UK obviously has like significantly less guns, so it just feels like even stranger in that regard. Um, but yeah. you know, so one of the other things that did not age well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we talked a little bit about girl. You know, she's this average middle middle class white girl um we see her slowly rebel and transform throughout the book we'll talk more about her transformation later but uh she meets boy pretty soon uh boy is this uh he's supposed to be this this badass rogue he's he's sort of james dean ish to paint a very general portrait but is there anything either one of you wanted to say about the portrayal of boy or his aesthetic or his characterization very sex pistols, I'd say. I think yeah. there's a lot of. I, I think I'll bring this up often, but there is very much like a sex pistols Johnny Rotten kind of vibe to to boy. Um, I also got it like a, a slight bit of Manhattan Black out of him. I don't know if you oh, I see that. that. You mean Manchester yeah, Black? Like, yeah, Manchester Black. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got I got a bit of Manchester Black out of him too. Um, and yeah, he's very much. Uh, like you said, like a James Dean type of archetype. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> I think that's all I can say. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is interesting to talk about like the punk vibe because, um, you know, that was such, that was so much more prominent, right? In the nineties. And like thinking about now where like, you know, punk, you know, there are still people who like punk and dress like that, but like, it's not as prevalent. So it does kind of make me think about that too. Like, oh, that's right. There was an era where this was like, you know, like, you know, being being my age and, you know, everything else, like realizing I was around for the tail end of that kind of, some of that stuff in the early 2000s and 90s and stuff. And it's just kind of strange to realize, like, you know, these kind of things are almost making you feel da- unintentionally dated in some ways. And I don't want to keep ragging on, like, how some of these things haven't aged well, but, like, it is kind of interesting to realize some of that stuff is just like there in a way that almost seems like a time capsule. Yeah, I, I like that aspect of it. Like this is very much a '90s book. You know, like so much of it is based in the culture of the count, both the culture and the counterculture of the '90s. Um, so there is that that it's got going for it. But I think insofar as it's aging well, yeah, it's. Eh. You know, I mentioned the characterization and look of the boy and like, you know, we'd all talked about how he's like punk rock and Morrison was very much like involved in the punk scene, according to like Morrison's own record. And, you know, I've always tried to like find pictures or recordings of this band Morrison was in, The Mixers. I've only found one song. I don't know if Morrison is even on that. But because of that uh, relationship between Morrison and punk, there's this interview I've read where Morrison says people assume that the this like badass boyfriend is meant to be a stand-in with for Morrison, and that's a natural assumption because you know the the badass protagonist of Invisibles, King Mob, is obviously based on Morrison. However, according to Morrison's own account. 
he says that the the nerdy boyfriend that they kill, who's like really into these like dragon books and you know, always babbling on, uh, that that boy is actually closer to how he really was when when Morrison was that age. I just thought that was funny. Yeah, I, I thought it was funny because there's the one panel where the boyfriend says, because uh, he's got this like I think it's like a fantasy. Is it a D and D book? Is that what it is? I think it's meant to be one of those books by a guy named Terry. I think that it's even Terry something in the book. And I've read an interview where Morrison's like, all those authors were named Terry, which is pretty funny and true. Hmm. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I have it right here. The, it's, um, oh, Terry okay. Punch Up, Runefest Trolls in Love. It's like a Runefest very cliche type title. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the boyfriend says, girls can read it too. The female characters are really strong and unusual. And I thought that was very funny because of how rarely that's actually the case with Morrison's own books or women's and women in Morrison's own books. Yeah, I mean, I've I've passed a Morrison book to a girlfriend before. And if you pass them something like... (laughs) Well, no, I mean, if you pass a book... <laughs> Sorry. Okay, go on. You good? No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> what kind of boyfriend no, I mean, that... passes off a Morrison book to his girlfriend? One you should probably kill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, do you remember when I said I was the worst kind of Morrison fanboy? Yeah, I remember. I'm. I'm, I'm starting to like. I'm bringing that back to the top of my head now. <laughs> Okay, go on. But no, I mean, I'm just I'm remarking on your irony. Like, if you pass a Morrison book to a girl, and it's like something like Superman, if they're like open or like Superman, they're like, oh, I get this. Like, this is cool. This is fun. But like, if it's anything revolving around like a woman being like the lead, like it's just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, enough said there. But um, the uh, you know, it's just it's important to talk about these stand-ins because this is where you know what is a potential stand-in for Morrison because you know t- thinking back to like all right, so we talk about Morrison's thirty-four and like f- frankly, like this is such a weird fucking book to write when you're thirty-four. Like if if a twenty-four-year-old wrote this, I'd be like, this is kind of immature, but I get it. You're twenty-four, like you're still working some shit out. I get why you'd still maybe be writing about high schoolers. The thing is with this book, though, th- on the second reading, the stand-ins for Morrison that I see are not so much either boyfriend, but it's the girl herself, and it's the uh, the first person <laughs> that a uh, girl and boy kill after the boyfriend. They they kill this like older rich man to like steal his car or get his apartment, and it's revealed that he's like some kind of cross-dresser. And there's like a lot of really loaded dialogue about people hiding these habits. And, you know, when girl tries on some of the like the wigs and the dresses that this cross-dressing guy has, it, she even has this line where she says, I feel like a transvestite. There's a line even later in the book about like men wanting to like fuck anyone who's dressed like a woman, like men being inherently queer. So all of that for me is just to say... I think Morrison is like really working through some suppressed or possibly closeted issues here in this book. And because of how complicated that can be in the 90s, being British, 
I I, I kind of get more of like why this book is so fucking strange and stilted. Yeah, I think that context definitely adds a lot, an, an extra layer to this. Like later on, uh, boy, boy and Fudge, which which is the leader of the artist bunch, um, they talk about Giovanni's room, uh, which is a classic James Baldwin book uh, about you know like gay lovers. And there is, like, a lot of queer, not even subtext, it's, like, on the page, um, things going on here. So, it's, it's weird, I guess it's not weird, but it's more so, I, I'm refraining from using the word interesting, because it's, more, you can definitely see that Morrison is working through something here, um, but. Yeah, I kind of take it as, uh, Morrison kind of navigating, the opposing forces are like countercultures and different things in, um, you know, their lifetime. Like, cause I mean, we started with punk, you know, and like Dungeon Dragons and we kind of like matured to like, and even the Giovanni's room thing is like in this like Mary Pranksters type sixties environment with like some guy who kind of looks like, like, I don't know if he's supposed to be like a stand in for just generic black music in general or like easy E or like <laughs> not, not what easy. that looks Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you sent me that pa- you sent me the panel after reading <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just like i i i didn't want to post online because i did not want to like spoil anything about this or post anything about it but i had to send it to somebody but you know like like that character you know like there's also like a single black figure in like the brotherhood of Dada. so i kind of feel like this is more of like almost like a self-awareness extension of like doom patrol in some ways where it's like exploring all these weird ideas and like like how they're kind of all just swirling into this world together so i could see morrison kind of as a stand of the girl um in the sense of like just kind of going through all these different like phases or like encountering all these different ideas and kind of like just going with it or not knowing what to go with or you know what to what to internalize almost yeah and i think with the way it ends off too you know like Again, fuck you if you haven't if you if you're genuinely afraid of spoilers for this. But at the end, we see an older version of girl as sort of this like meek housewife, um, who obviously isn't as meek as we think her to be initially. But I th- I think again with the comments of Morrison being 34 at this time, uh, it it's kind of funny to see. It's like oh yeah, after all that, this is where she ends up. Is that supposed to be like Morrison saying, like after all that time and all that sort of like exploration of youth in general? Is like this is where I'm at right now. That's how I read it. I mean, this is like definitely getting into the politics of the book, right? Like that is alluded to in a line of dialogue. She, she says, like mm-hmm. when in when she's a teenager, she says, "Shake a person up enough, and what they thought was a personality starts to separate. We can be anything. I'm a page three girl. I'm a Warhol superstar. I'm a dyke. I'm a riot girl. I'm the queen of sex. I'm a housewife with a jar of rat poison." Through the story, we see girl take on all of those personas, and I I completely agree with Serge, where you can kind of see some of these ideas of Doom Patrol, like losing your identity. A lot of that comes up in Invisibles as well, where that starts to fall apart for me a little bit in this book is trying to figure out what like the politics of this are because i read that statement and it's kind of like oh i contain multitudes i can be anything but like if if you can be anything and become anything at any time 
for me, that kind of sounds like, well, what are you really? Like, what what do you actually stand for as a person? Uh, you know, not to say people can't contain multitudes, but like, uh, yeah, Morrison's politics in this are so wishy-washy. There's a point where it's like almost kind of mocked where like the like whatever we want to call those merry pranks or people are are like lectured about praxis and how like to properly move. But like it's so goofy, it, it's it's, such, it's, yeah. it's like so goofy and so stilted, but it's not like, uh, you know, like the, the protagonists were like supposed to be sympathetic to have any other refutation either. So it's just kind of like what 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 is going on here? What That's exactly my issue with it, man. It's like these these uh these these merry pranksters are supposed to be like the bad leftists or the hypocritical leftists. But like you said, there's no refutation to that. And you never really see either boy or girl get stripped down to like the actual core of what their characters are. You know, like there's a lot of like archetypes being thrown around and you know, again, like you said contains multitudes but none of those multitudes really paint any sort of picture about who girl is or what she stands for like at the climax you know when at the very end when they're on top of that tower i feel like that's the perfect point for them to really strip back all the layers and be like at the core this is who girl is this is who boy is and you never really get that well that that is the problem is like he does this Morrison can throw in these like genius plot twists that you have to really think about, like really pay attention to and connect the pieces to get like fuller meanings. And sometimes he fucking fumbles it really bad. Unfortunately, he does it really well here. And the problem with doing it well is he like kind of subverts his own story because in the reviews of this book, a lot of people's reviews are at odds with what ours. A lot of people's reviews are, oh, don't think about it too much, man. This is a story about young love and, like, getting really high and fucked up and just how the world feels then. Like, I hear that. I can see that. I, I can just enjoy a dumb, fun thing. But the the reveal here, where we strip these people down to what they really are, is layered into the beginning when we see the parents, the girls' parents, arguing with each other. This clearly this is a, a frictious relationship. There is this argument where the wife is calling out the husband for like dirty magazines or whatever. Then he shoots back at her, oh yeah, what about that package you sent to the orphanage? Clearly implying that like she fucking abandoned a baby that she had. And it's it's not clear whether the the dad is the father or not but like she's really offended by this she's like you never would have you weren't supposed to bring this up it's never revisited until that climax after boy is shot by the cops he hands these postage stamps to girl now i gotta interrupt myself and say like i this totally went over my head when i was a kid and i first read this whoa, but reading whoa, it now whoa, whoa, whoa. this is went over this went over my head when when i read this like Two, two days ago. <laughs> it's insane. It's an insane reveal. But he goes, please, I want you to have this. You know, he's bleeding out on this tower. He says, I want you to have this. This is the only, he says something like, this is, this is the only like thing I have that, that means anything to me. My mom left this with me at the orphanage. <laughs> oh, no. Dude, she, yeah. he passes no. her the fucking stamps on the box. Girl has been fucking her long lost brother or half brother the whole time. Like, what the shit, dude? The funniest part about all that, too, is like, 
it's like this huge reveal, but like right before that, he's like, we didn't even get to do Adel. And like yeah. now here's this like it's like wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> like like it's just like such a bizarre twist in a twist. Like it's, yeah, it's dude. absolutely a reveal that has no purpose other than to be transgressive. <laughs> and, and that's my whole issue with this book, is like there's this whole idea of like being transgressive. This is a transgressive book. And there's a you know, like halfway through when they're calling like the merry pranksters, the artists out for their fake transgressiveness, it's all surrounded by faux transgressive things that they do, you know, like fucking on top of a hearse. But it, it's, 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 oh my God. Yeah. Like I said, like, like I, like I said, this is a great book for nerds and <laughs> sex pistols fans to live vicariously through. There, it's it, like, it's it's basically that um <laughs> that shirt that says you laugh at me because I'm different. I laugh at you because we're all the same. Yes, and that's like the whole yes. politics. Like Grant Morrison saw that shirt and was like, I'm going to write a whole comic about this. <laughs> and that's what it is. God, this is like like I wanted to even say this is like a Joker fan kind of kind of book, but like even Joker fans at least have the sort of like minuscule self-awareness to be like okay we're doing this for the for shits and giggles whereas this is like yeah we're gonna fuck on top of a hearse we're gonna dress up a, a, a corpse and drag you know and at the very core of it it's just d- dumb <laughs> it's just dumb i don't know it, it, it like, is it is no it's just dumb there's it's just it's, dumb, it's yeah. ideas it's it's an idea here, an idea there, but none of those ideas weave together in a satisfying or um, revealing way. The last big idea I want to talk about with this is mythology. Um, now, when I say I was a Morrison fanboy, this is where I get a little redemption. Is I got into the study of mythology partly because of Grant Morrison. I think where like I started to you know in bits and pieces see the light and like not be totally mesmerized by the aura of Morrison was when I started to slowly realize that I had learned more about mythology than Morrison himself and that's where this book shits the bed again in the uh, introduction you know we do the classic trope of the the protagonist is sitting in her high school classroom and the teacher is droning on about a theme that will come up later the teacher is talking about Dionysus and specifically the real-world cults of Dionysus, where these uh, these bands of women would be, you know, enraptured by Dionysus. They would just be consumed by frenzy. They would get drunk. They would have really like orgiastic sex, and they would commit these wild acts of violence, chopping people up, insane shit. Morrison talks about this in the afterword. He he talks about you know being inspired by Dionysus, and he ha- he has these images of of women like young high school women like you know cutting up school counselors with knives and like committing all these insane acts of terrorism and violence to to parents and guardians. That in itself, I think, is a fascinating idea. If these women were inspired by a Dionysus like figure, that is not what happens in the book. <laughs> in the book, girl just. <laughs> follows fucking boy as he does all this shit and the whole time she's like wow that's fucking crazy dude you just shot that guy 
<laughs> but she doesn't do any of that herself. Yeah. And at the end, she even brings up, I haven't actually killed anybody. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, 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 yeah, at the end, it should have been like when she gives her the stamps and she realizes it might be related, she just pushes them off. Like, I thought that would have been like a really funny way to do like the end of it. That would have been awesome. But, yeah, like, been yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, like, like, like we said, Morrison is not necessarily the best author of women. And, um, <laughs> yep. I think like like the only thing she actually does is like poison her husband as a housewife, and that's like the only thing she actually like, you know, the only agency she actually has in the stories feels like at any point. And we don't yeah, even like, really get to the... see that. No, we don't. We just sort sort of see the the pre action, I guess. And this is why the narration's also really funny to me is that, you know, like when whenever boys doing all these things, all these things, girl just turns to the camera and it was like, well, that just happened. <laughs> Like, I didn't like, think you'd do that. She does a gym, gym face from the office and the camera. Yes, just like, oh. exactly. She's just turning the movie like, she turns to the camera like, damn, my life a movie for real. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah the, uh, the misunderstanding this, this, of mythology. Yeah, this book does not understand mythology. It doesn't understand Dionysus. Uh, so it's, it's just kind of a crock of shit in that sense. I mean, that's... It's a huge fail. Like, you could say something interesting about Dionysus, about, like, being in an altered state, and it, it doesn't really have anything there. It's it's a problem that comes up in other Morrison books that have different tones, too, where you'll read a Morrison book, and then you'll read an interview, and then he'll say something completely different in the interview than what happens in the book. Um, you know, that's it. That's all I got for Kill Your Boyfriend. <laughs> anything else yeah, you guys wanted I mean, to add? Art's good. Art's nice. Art's, art's dope. I guess I wouldn't read this unless you're like one of those people that like has to read everything, you know? Um, It's not everything that Morrison toys with in this can be found better in other other comics, I guess. You know what? I disagree. I, in trying to read other books from this era, he does this even worse in a book called uh, St. Swithin's Day. Do you know this one? No, I don't know this one. Should we do like a follow-up episode where we do this one? No, I can do this in one minute. This dude oh, is very sick. much like the the, the merry pranksters. The, the, oh, Lan, I, by the way, I want you to talk about who these merry pranksters actually are in a second. Oh, yeah. So there's yeah. this show in the UK when Morrison was younger uh, called The Double Deckers. It's just like a, a Bill Nye the Science Guy type show about like these kids who, who again, I, I must reiterate, kids who live in a double-decker bus and go around, like, doing science shit and, you know, like, fun little cultural shit. And like Morrison was so... Yeah, a good show for babies, right? And Morrison was so enraptured about becoming one of the double-deckers. And obviously, as we know now, Morrison did not become one of the double-deckers. Uh, <laughs> and this apparently has, has fueled a sort of, um, I don't know, vengeance? Rage? Uh... No, regardless, he turns the double deckers into the merry pranksters in this book. The merry pranksters are supposed to be the sort of like parody of the double deckers, and again, extremely goofy, extremely goofy, extremely goofy. Uh, that's all I have. Extremely goofy. Thirty-four. At Thirty-four yes, to 34. be motivated by like a show you watched as a five-year-old. Yeah. Like, move on. It was like <laughs> Andy Warhol and Easy E and like some guy in a gib suit also in it. And, like, yeah, what like, did? Okay, what did Easy E do to Grant Morrison? That's what I want to know. 
<laughs> yeah. did Easy E do to, to Grant Morrison? But in this book, you know, they're portrayed as like these impotent leftists. They say like, oh, we've got a grenade, but the grenade is more of a symbol. We're not actually going to use it to blow up anything. That's what St. Swithin's Day is. And that was why I said, when you said there's other books that do this better, I'm like, there's also books that do this worse. Because in St. Swithin's Day, this boy who is based on Grant Morrison is like, oh, I'm going to kill Maggie Thatcher. And he like, gets a gun. He's like following Maggie Thatcher around. And the whole book is just kind of like following his like, you know, descent into madness. He finally catches up to Maggie Thatcher's motorcade and he draws his gun. Oh, but what's his gun? It's just his finger. And he says, bang on his forehead is written neurotic boy outsider. And he's tackled by Maggie's fucking security team. Woo. Like again, just like you had something he really just has interesting. Just neurotic there. boy outsider written on his forehead, like Jared Leto's Joker. Yeah, like oh, damage. Okay. Uh, like damage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what. It, okay. But okay. it says neurotic boy outsider, and it's just. Mm, it's, I feel it's like that's worse than putting damage. <laughs> it's <laughs> so <laughs> stupid, and it's just it's again this example of Morrison like seeing like activism or like more extreme politics just as watches one Scorsese film. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can make it your whole personality for a decade. Uh, yeah, anyways, that's a digression just to say. Morrison was on one in the 90s. And then uh, you can imagine a fast-forward sound here 10 years later. <laughs> Morrison ends up getting still on, on one, one again. <laughs> Back at it again. Oh, man. Which brings us to Vimanarama. Our second book, and I, I mentioned the notes here, uh, there, there is a commonality between Kill Your Boyfriend and Vimanorama uh, in that the story at hand doesn't map to the culture at hand, but the culture is being mapped onto the story. And I think that's a great way to tie these books t together, uh, even if DC didn't mean it. Uh, it's it's like a, a, a double feature of, of misunderstandings and just complete banality yeah so, this yes, deluxe edition is like oh God, i was gonna say this deluxe yeah, edition no. just feels like if you have shitty taste you're gonna love these two books yeah if you're a true morrison fan sit through this <laughs> yeah. well, sit with yourself think about what give you us did. your money you hapless stooge yeah <laughs> so yeah Vimanorama, let's 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 run it through this so it's a three issue miniseries it came out in 2005 it's the fourth and final collaboration between morrison and bond uh they'd work together on the invisibles between this and kill your boyfriend um and again 2005 you have to consider what was going on around that time uh this came out at the same time as sea guy we three and the beginning of morrison's seven soldiers run um, and it was actually shortly after Marvel had put out Spider-Man India. And you're wondering why I mentioned this. It'll be relevant. <laughs> uh, Phil Bond is back again uh, on our duties for this one. Uh, Bond was... Here's a crazy this fact. so heartbreaking. <laughs> this is insane to me. Bond was originally meant to work on Wii 3. And everyone knows Wii 3. Any, like, even if you're like a comics fan in passing i feel like we three is something it's just like it's entered the the <laughs> comics canon online i guess if you, if you will 
So Bond was originally meant to work on Wii 3, but Morrison, and I quote, had this other idea that he thought I would be great for. Uh, this is Bond saying this. And the other idea that he thought it would be that Bond would be great for was Vimanorama, and we three ended up going to Quietly. And so you're wondering, you know, like, okay, now here's what's the what's the big catch? You you said this was ten years or eleven years after Kill Your Boyfriend. Again, if we do math, Grant Morrison in two thousand five is forty five. Forty five. Okay, again, keep it in the back of your mind. What does the average person do at 45? What's going through their minds? You know, like, what are they... Is this the... Just... What exactly are you thinking when you do a book like this at such an age? Uh, Can I I say something about Bond here? Go for it. Bond getting passed on Wii 3 to do this, to do Vimanorama, reminds me so much of Sean Connery passing on Saruman in The Lord of the Rings to go do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> I was going to bring up League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because of like, I was waiting for the right moment to drop that because <laughs> I do feel like this might have led to why Dark Dossier has like the gollywog in it now. That's my new theory of <laughs> the rivalry taking place of who can out racist the other. <laughs> mm. Um yeah, so the the etymology of the the title here Vimanarama is Vimana, uh which is a mythical chariot from Hindu Indian culture and Rama which is, you know, Rama like the Greek word Orama which just means like spectacle or a sight. So it's, it basically just translates to a spectacle of chariots. Uh, so the numbers, some of you might know the answer to this, but how, guess how many South Asian or Muslim car- creators were involved with this book? Do either of you know? I know, I know if you're looking I, at the show notes, you, you, you know, but. Take a, take a I guess. just even if I hadn't looked at the show notes, I would have pictured a very round, very hollow zero. Mm, mm. Serge, do you think the same? No, I think this was extremely progressive, and they had sensitivity readers <laughs> and a whole crew and years of research to write this story. I'm sorry, I can't even say it with straight face. <laughs> yeah, uh, a big fat goose egg for the number of South Asian and Muslim character creators involved with this book. Uh, it is entirely a book written by two white folks. Uh, and Salty, you've written the show notes here that it precipitates Morrison's big Wonder Woman book that was also all white guys, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, I mean, my... it is funny. Yeah. It's, it's like yeah, weird. It like it's 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 like why did you feel the need for this? I haven't even read that Wonder Woman book. I don't have an opinion on it either way. It's just it's very interesting that Morrison became like the diversity hire. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's 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 like a less problematic Joss Whedon in a way. But it's like between that and 18 days and av- yeah, like it. It hurts my head. It's the only thing I can say. It hurts my head. I, I literally wrote down in the show notes, someone call Edward Said. Because <laughs> that's that how much it, I, I needed. I need to bring this man back to life just to. Okay. So pretext. 
so there's a bunch of Morrison interviews uh, around this time. Uh, you know, going into the culture surrounding this book and sort of the the mindset that they were they had going into this book. So the first point I want to, or the first quote I want to bring up is, the seed was planted after 9-11. Great start, by the way. After 9-11, when I started reading up on Muslim culture in an effort to comprehend the world world political and religious situation a little more clearly. I can't believe it took 9-11 for Morrison to do that. <laughs> Apart from the Sufi mystical fringe, I'd never been interested in Islam at all. But I found a rich vein of visionary weirdness that I'd never known was there. I visionary began weirdness. Visionary weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> I began to research the early history of Pakistan, which took me to the, back to the fabled and mythical Rama Empire, said to exist 6,000 years ago. Vamanas are the name given to the flying machines of the Rama Empire. Detailed descriptions of these machines can be found in the Mahabharata and other early Indian epics, as well as in more recent books of speculative archaeology. Uh, and here we've... He, We've quoted uh, David Hatcher Childress's Vimana Aircraft of Ancient India and Atlantis is a useful source book. And from these scraps of research material, I began to piece together the idea for a story of romance and apocalypse set in a strictly Mohammedan milieu. I don't want my milieus any other way. I want them strictly Mohammedan. Yeah, I want my milieus yeah. Mohammedan. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, how yeah. he's like, post 9-11, I went to investigate the Mohammedans. And like no one uses that term, I haven't used that term in a long time. So he decided I'm gonna drop it in there. Po post nine so eleven. Post nine eleven. Post nine eleven. I want to show you how uh, Muslims can fly a big aircraft, but it can be cool. Oh man! Yeah, yeah. that's how and, this and, feels. And, and, and again, nowhere in this are we bringing up Hinduism whatsoever. So continuing on with this quote. <laughs> Islam frowns on representational art, and I'd imagine that, for some sects, comics are possibly the most blasphemous art form imaginable. I just like the idea of taking all the pomp and high holiness of one of the world's great religions and turning it into a Jack Kirby comic. Grant Morrison said, Je suis Charlie. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Lord. You could write a book on just that paragraph. You really fucking that, could. That paragraph, like, you know, if I was in, if I, if I was in Yu-Gi-Oh, that would have been a direct hit to my life points. I would yeah. go, da -da 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 -da. Morrison said, I'm going, Grant Morrison said, I'm going to be the next Rudyard Kipling. And you just <laughs> went about doing that. Okay. Well, there's Grant, a 2005 Grant, intro. <laughs> go ahead. Well, hold on. I think I want to do that 2005 interview, definitely. I think this is a good time to talk about the Kirby influence. Or do you want to do that later? Uh, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll let you... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, do you want to mention... Because, again, this is a Kirby-inspired book, so... Yeah, yeah. So he says, like, I got these super... Got these these nebulously Muslim or possibly Hindu super gods. And I'm like, what if I turn it into a Jack Kirby team? And just as, as a, as someone who's read a lot of Jack Kirby, just turning the page and getting to the Jack Kirby spread is so fucking bizarre. 
because you know it's it's mimicking all the aesthetics of Kirby, the costumes and like the way the team is you know represented on the page, their stances, even the way that Prince Ben Rama, the sort of Superman or Thor of the team, talks is exactly like Stan Lee Thor. And you just you read this and you're like, why Jack Kirby, bro? Like <laughs> Jack Kirby was doing like Greek stuff, Norse stuff. Like Kirby never expressed an interest in like these cultures. And the one time he did, he wrote that that <laughs> recently recovered manuscript called The Horde. And I just <laughs> I'm not canceling Kirby. I don't fucking care who you cancel either way, but like <laughs> I just want to read this blurb on The Horde where Kirby's it's called The Horde, a visionary novel by Jack Kirby. Quote, "The Oriental shall come forth from his seat to pass the mountains to France. He shall pass fire through the sky." The waters and snow, and shall strike everyone with his rod. Just like a Nostradamus quote. But like, that's so fucking racist, man. It's just so weird you would pick Jack Kirby. Like, not that we knew Kirby was like, had huge racism problems at the time, but like, why didn't you pick like, I don't know, any other Asian creator in comics to pick your influence from? Well, I mean, I guess the, the point to be made there is that you know, it was 2005, and it's not like there was a, a series of books the year before uh, that took a superhero and put him in an Indian context or anything, you know, one Spider-Man India or anything. It's not like that existed or anything, but <laughs> just, it, yeah, it's, it's funny that Kirby is the influence that Morrison went for with this book. Because in some ways, it's almost the only influence that you can see. Yeah. So yeah, let's this this 2005 interview with Newsarama. They say every single character in this is either Pakistani or a god. The sprawling family structure of this book is the kind of thing I rarely write about, and the huge cast of babies, grannies, aunts, uncles, brothers, and sisters provided me with a lot of opportunities for weird comedy know that yeah it, it provided you with a lot of opportunities none of which were taken <laughs> when i think weird then, comedy i think about big pakistani families you know who's, you know you know it's really weird and funny muslims <laughs> <laughs> then they go on to say there are devout muslims in the book and there are couldn't care less muslims so everybody gets a shout Basically, I did all my research, but you won't see much of it in the book. You're telling You're us. Right? I You're telling us. It. I mean, yeah, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. <laughs> research my ass. <laughs> all the concepts are translated, so Allah is referred to in the text as God and Hajj as pilgrimage, for example, in an effort to avoid the stuffy, self-aware, and again, in quotations, ethnicity of using Arabic phrases for color. The Ultra Hadin are my own creations based on stories of angels in the Quran and earlier pre-Islamic texts. While some hoary old ideas like Atlantis are given a new slap of paint and cast in a distinctly Islamic light. But apart from that, I think the story is human enough at its core to mean something to anyone who's ever been a teenager in the grip of immense and ridiculous forces beyond one's control or understanding. Apart from the Muslim part, it's actually quite human. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
everything's human except muscle. <laughs> it's like that other interview segment. You could just do a whole podcast on this fucking interview blurb, man. Yeah, just yeah. Again, I get it. It's 2005. The 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 world opinion of Muslims was not high. Just in general, it's not high at all. You know. But holy fuck. <laughs> Holy fuck. Oh, man. Yeah, so, so you mentioned here that a good thing to contrast now before going into this is 18 days in Avatar X. Uh, so, reader, viewer, listener, you may be surprised to know that this was not the only time that Grant Morrison dipped their toes into South Asian culture. Uh, so first, there's the 18 Days art book from Graphic India, where Morrison, alongside Mukesh Singh, um, again, this was in 2010, so two years after Final Crisis, uh, like a year before New 52 and Action Comics and whatnot. Uh, and basically, it's more or less the same story beats as, as, as what? Salt. Um, I, oh, same, I meant it was the same story beats as Final Crisis. Oh, as Final Crisis, yeah. Like, I mean, the whole thing with 18 Days is it's supposed to be this sort of reimagining of the Mahabharata. Um, but, you know, done in superhero fashion, which uh, I'll get into later, but the Mahabharata is uniquely not a Muslim text. Uh, what? I know, surprising, <laughs> right? And then so eight there there was an eighteen days motion comic apparently that that also came out a few years later and as Salt is quoted, it's not good. <laughs> and then it only in 26... took twenty chapters to figure it out. <laughs> oh, okay. No, and I knew it wasn't 26... good. I, just, I thought it would get oh, good. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I saw eighteen days in like shelves when I was in high school. And I saw like Morrison's name attached to it, but I never felt compelled to actually like pick up the book and read it. And now well, I feel vindicated. <laughs> well, the thing that's fucking nuts about 18 Days to me, it, I don't know that much about the Mahabharata, but like, and I, I know I'm not saying that right. I'm sorry. This is Flub Nation. Yeah, that's what it is. But um, it's 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 like Kurt Busiek's Astro City. It's Grant <laughs> Morrison's 18 Days, and it's like, have you seen Mukesh Singh's artwork? Like, it doesn't have to be your style, but clearly this dude put so much fucking time into this. Like, it's crazy. Like, Grant Morrison was on like Mahabharata Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like out. it's like this is Grant Morrison's 18. It's the white. It's the white <laughs> creator. I'm I'm putting on my hat. Oh, I'm putting on. I'm I'm getting. <laughs> All my, my my, I'm putting on my salwar. It's the <laughs> white man with their name on the book. It's it's, come on, liberate yourself. <laughs> so that's not the only the only other book. Uh, Morrison they also put out Avatar X in 2016. Uh, uh an an original Indian superhero, if you will. I, I read collab it. With- you read it? I didn't read this one. I didn't read this you one. You don't read it. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> we're, 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 we're delving into sheer madness right now. <laughs> oh, so this man. is another collab with Graphic India in a partnership that also included, you believe it or not, Stan Lee. <laughs> and wait for and it. Drum roll, please. 
<laughs> Deepak Chopra. Woo! Woo! Deepak Chopra. <laughs> and a, a portion of these books were donated to Doctors Without Borders to fund education for young women in India to become doctors. And you said no one read this. You're right. No one did read this. And there's a, there's a quote that Morrison gave uh, in regards to the Doctors Without Borders fundraiser. And they say, I believe that educated young women are our world's best hope for the future. And I'm very proud to be working with Graphic India and Humble Bundle to support World Reader and Doctors Without Borders in the all-important fight against poverty, lack of medicine, and illiteracy in India. Yes, yeah, so what really chance. happened... <laughs> You know what really happened here was whoever like was working for graphic policy that Grant Moore, who got Grant Morrison the job, this person at uh, Graphic India, I think it's like graphic policy, but this person at Graphic India who got Grant the job, they said, "Oh shit, my department might get shut down, but if I can get like a grant, like lowercase g grant, that was not meant to be mm. a pun. If I can get a grant from Doctors Without Borders or some other organization, I can like pay to keep my department open, and then through like money laundering ways, they probably sent ten dollars to Doctors Without Borders for this book. That's my theory. Hell anyway. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the rest of that quote is useless, but I, I think now is a good time as any to bring up Grant's own thoughts on the Indian comic scene. And there's three quotes, I think, here, or is this so all just cool. one quote? It's uh, it's I chopped it up a little bit. You can okay. just I, okay. I, I took out the irrelevant parts. So the first <laughs> that must have been a lot of parts then. Uh, so there's three parts here. The first one says, It seems to me, mostly from reading the papers and watching the news, I must admit, that there's a much more progressive and positive feeling in some of the countries of the East, like India and China. In the West, at the moment, the future is something to be feared. In the East, it's something to look forward to. Vibes only. Good vibes only. Edward Seed, suck a cock. <laughs> Graham Morrison said their piece. <laughs> <laughs> Part two, for me, the superhero has always been a crude and hopeful re representation of how the human future might look if we don't blow ourselves up. The reactionary soldier superhero of the West has his place, but I'd like to see the kinds of superheroes who might arise from cultures with a little more faith in tomorrow. Wow. And finally, at a time when I feel I've said about as much as I have to say about the American superhero, again, this is what, 2012? out yeah yeah so yeah. think of how many superhero comics morrison's put out since uh as much as i have to say about the american superhero avatar x is an opportunity to reimagine the entire concept through a different cultural lens and and the subtext here is it's a cultural lens that they don't belong to would it surprise you to hear land that the uh protagonist of uh avatar x is another neurotic boy outsider, but uh, you know, remixed uh, East East Asian style, <laughs> like Ali. Oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! And, and rounding out all the, the the quotes, the Morrison quotes leading into this, uh, there's one from a hollywood reporter interview where they say as a kid i was a huge fan of the beatles and when they got into meditation sitars and indian culture i was inspired years later as a teenager to do the same and again the 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 key word here is indian culture 
okay, keep that in the back of your head. And <laughs> and then you've noticed that this wouldn't be the last time that Morrison created an Eastern or Eastern in the sense of hemisphere. We can just say an Orientalist, I guess, in this case, a uh, super team. Uh, and in Final Crisis, Morrison would create a Japanese Justice League called Super Young Team. Surprising. Yeah, no it one. sucks. Morrison, yeah, Morrison also missed the mark there. <laughs> it's just, it's so weird because it's like Grant is like, I don't know, in his like 40s or 50s by the time he does Final Crisis. And it's like, dude, you, you could have looked at so many Japanese comics or toku shows like we've been watching. And like the super young team with like the Superman Batman mashup and all the other Japanese analogs of American characters, like they they don't feel Japanese. No, and it's it, it's funny because you know like just five or six years later we get new Superman from DC, which is uh, written by Gene Luen Young, and uh, just a nice murder's row of great artists as well as Vic Bogdanovich. Um, which does the whole concept way better, you know? Yeah, the, the difference the is that book is cool, China. and that character yeah, is that, cool. Yeah, that, that, book, that book is cool. It's <laughs> written by an actual Asian creator. It's crazy what hiring someone that's actually familiar with the culture will do for your book if you actually fucking hire one. <laughs> I'm also just amazed that Chris Claremont is still, like, the high point for white guys in diversity comics. And like, Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, no matter how cringe he gets, he's still better than everybody else at it. Some reason. <laughs> God. All right. So let's get into the book. <laughs> Surprising no one. It's not good. It's, it's not what? good. <laughs> one might even say, what the hell happened here? We'll be asking very frequently, what happened here? <laughs> so the, the the main characters in this book are a suicidal young boy, Shiite boy. Where did you get Shiite from? Because I didn't get anything in this book. About him being Shiite. <laughs> so Dude, this tell is... me where did it, where does it say that he's Shiite? Where does it I, say that he's a Shiite Muslim? I want I want you to guess, uh, Serge or Land, where where do you think I found the answer that Ali is Shiite? Either it's either in the the there's there's no afterward, so it can't be in the afterward. No afterward. I I didn't I didn't find it in the book. There's your spoiler. It's probably in an interview, isn't it's it? It's in an interview! You can't do that! <laughs> you can't write a character that way. That's like regardless of cultural insensitivity. Like that's just uh... you can't do that, bro. <laughs> he said he did his research that you're never gonna see. So I guess yeah, you're the, right. the, the, I guess that, that piece of research just didn't make it to the page. <laughs> I threw so, the yeah, Shiite in thing to give you brain damage. You're welcome. Cool. Thanks, man. My <laughs> 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 life points have been hit directly. Uh, yeah, so it's about our our our, our neurotic... What was it? Neurotic... Boy. Neurotic boy outsider. Written by our yeah, neurotic in this boy case, orientalist. In this, case, in this case, it's a neurotic brown boy outsider uh, named Ali and his extended family and the girl they've arranged to, to for him to marry that's my first that's point so with this book up. is like that's so fucked up why would you I do mean, that it's, it's, it's fine to do it okay here's the thing this is another book that takes place in the uk i have family that lives in the uk so i know what it's like to 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 be 
a South Asian person in the UK. And, you know, arranged marriages happen. That's normal. How is that, like, the the crux? The Just, okay. <laughs> Look, I need it's to work up. through this. <laughs> I need to work through this. So, yeah, okay. So, Ali, his family, the girl they've arranged for him to marry, Sophia, uh, and the group of godlike super beings called the Ultra Hadin, and the and you've written them down as monstrous petrochemical bad guys. They're just devils. They're just devils. Their whole I didn't write that. Is this that is all the. This is the quote. No, no. This is, no, a quote, this from is quote. This yeah, is the quote. I didn't make this up. <laughs> no. This is okay. We need to read the whole quote. Then you get to unpack okay. it. All right. And okay. I'll get sure, to do the Morrison sure. voice here, and you guys can tell me if I, I got it right. All right. So we go. Go for it. There's also a group of godlike super beings called the Ultra Hadin and some monstrous petrochemical bad guys. Atlantis gets raised, gigantic spider temples war with cathedral tanks on the green fields of England. And the question is finally answered. Islam or Christianity? Which is the strongest? I think I did alright until that last couple of words with, with no that, that, that impression. Morrison said this. Yeah, this is from uh, 2005 or maybe 2002, but it's an early 2000s newsarama interview where he, he said India versus Pakistan, but he did Islam I... versus Christianity. Holy fuck! Yeah, dude, I didn't make a. I thought the Islam, I thought the Islam or Christianity was just like you being cheeky with this. Note. No, dude, this is yeah, this is Morrison. Um. Oh, hold on. Let me just rearrange my mind for what? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. So, not that I think anyone should be reading the monorama, but the 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 gist of the story is there's this boy Ali. I say boy. He's like twenty something. He's waiting to see his arranged bride Sophia he hasn't met her yet and while he's waiting the world goes to shit because his nephew a baby somehow ends up finding uh, an underground mystic city full of superpowered beings and unleashes a great evil upon the, the the world and the whole story is about you know like him trying to prevent the apocalypse or whatever other big sure. fucking trope there was in the 2000s um so yeah the 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 thing is ali is supposedly muslim there's n very little in this book that indicates that ali and his family are muslim you know you see uh his dad and his brother they're wearing um it's a kufi hat and, you know, like, they're all dressed up, uh, I guess, like you would uh, a stereotypical Muslim family, like a, a devout stereotypical Muslim family. And Ali himself is dressed up like a, a, a regular UK brown boy, I'd say. And, God, okay, so at the very beginning of the book, right, when Ali's going to save his brother, there is this 
two pa- two page spread because the panel before oh. is like you see him getting on the bike and there's these girls oh. in the background playing <laughs> volleyball and there's two cops there right and then in the two page spread the girls uh, the girls are like arranged as though they're doing some kind of bollywood dance and so are the cops yeah. and so are the cops the, the cops too and then the craziest thing is that there is a plane in the background and the only buildings you see like beyond the foreground of you know the the array of houses are two towers oh shit I oh man that. i did not even catch that <laughs> two oh, towers man. a plane and it's literally headed right towards it that's so cool so that already sets a high bar for for what this book is gonna be right before we go on bonds are in this fine it's it's all right like it's good it lacks the punch that it had in uh kill your boyfriend i think like he disraeli is not inking him here so it the 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 lines feel a lot lighter it feels a lot less angular and also it's been 10 years so you know obviously their style has changed a bit more um the colors coloring doesn't work for me in this book yeah it's it there are points where it works for me i guess like earlier on but it's in that like weird phase where comics were like starting to get a better understanding of like what digital coloring was um yeah it's like serviceable at best there's a really bad lens flare through actually i'm looking through it now two three pages there's like some really bad lens flares um and also the the coloring on the vimanas in question in this book surprise there's a lot of vimanas in vimanorama uh, it all stinks it's it's bad the coloring on the vimanas are bad shit <laughs> serge what do you think um i mean it felt like since they realized all their characters were like brown they had to like match everything to that and it really threw them off <laughs> Is that so, something like, you've seen in other books, Serge? Um, I mean, I don't know. It just feels like it. Also, feels like in the early two thousands, I think a lot of comics kind of had like a cartoony vibe to them. So it feels like like old, like how Ultimate Spider Man looked, right? Like where like yeah, it almost kind of looked cartoonish in a way that like seems emblematic of that it, era, and it's weird to I, see I, it. I think it's like just a bit beyond that because the white characters in this book, you know the three of them there are in this book uh don't have like hot dog colored skin which i felt like is more <laughs> indicative of that time so it, it, it's like the the post 2000s era almost it's right, like fair, this weird fair. transitional fugue state i think for me yeah um yeah the the coloring on the brown people the south asians i should say it's like the the coloring is very flat i'd say so can't really complain about it but yeah coloring is serviceable it just doesn't pop in a way that like it just doesn't do anything for me in that yeah yeah like the 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 whole idea is that you're supposed to feel this sort of (coughs) grandeur whenever the ultra hadeen or the demons are on screen and you never really get that well, yeah. it's, it doesn't work for me because what I'm comparing this to aesthetically is 
a Jack Kirby or Walt Simonson Thor or Avengers book. Mm. And this just doesn't have that pop. Like those books are like crispy and like they they like they're like practically glowing. You know what I mean? That's not here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're glowing here, but it's more like a, a radiation, you know, like something something's wrong. Something's someone fell in a vat of something. <laughs> yeah. So uh, off the bat, the character dialogue in this book is bad. Bad grading. The, there's so many quirky jokes throughout. This is like um, I guess this is technically at the the peak of Whedon's popularity, right? Yeah. There is a, a yeah. lot of Whedonisms like throughout this. Like early on in the book he says like if she's ugly I'm hanging myself looking for a baby. The looking for a baby thing is just like the lamest double entendre because they're they're looking for the baby that has been lost. But like, you know, we also know these two are fated to get up to like quirky rom-com hijinks. It's just it's so fucking weak, man. Yeah. And like when he finally realizes that the girl he's with is his arranged bride, he says, wait a minute, you're Sophia and you're not ugly. It's like, uh, you're a girl and a gamer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a very uh, piss-poor recreation of, like, Peter Parker discovering that Mary Jane Watson is hot, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I do, I do feel even... like a lot of this. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I do feel like a lot of this is trying to, like, make Ali, like, um, every other, like, youngish or early 20s-ish um, hero. And like yeah, so, they just nothing. like he doesn't really have a personality. He just he just says things that like Peter Parker would say, or like you know, he things doesn't like have that. A, he, he doesn't have a personality, nor does he have a culture. There's nothing about yeah. his character that screams Muslim. You know, like or even Shiite, you, even if he's yeah, sorry, Shiite. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I I know lapsed Muslims. I have friends that are lapsed Muslims and even they still have that sort of, um, I guess it, it, it's tenuous, but it's a, a tether, I should say, uh, a tether to their culture, uh, just because of, you know, them being around their families and just having that baked into them. None of that is here. None of that. There's n like, Ali could easily be a white guy named Steve, and the story would not change <laughs> fundamentally. It would arguably you know, sure be you better. You might question why his, his marriage is getting arranged, but other than that, there's nothing that would change if Ali was. I'm imagining like like Steve Martin's the jerk, where he's like raised with a black family. <laughs> 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 that would be really good. <laughs> you mean yeah. I'm gonna stay this color forever? Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the the pacing in this book is also awful. Uh, like I think it's in the oh, it's right after he saves his his brother. He talks about having existential dread, but nothing from any page before that ever indicates as such. There's nothing going on in his head in the I think it's like five or six pages before that that indicates that he has any sort of existential dread. He's just like a a depressed guy in the UK. Ooh. <laughs> you, I mean I would be too if I lived in the UK, but you it's get it. so 
Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> there was actually I went to the UK in 2016, and I had I don't know what it was. I think it was like a social experiment between me and my cousin, where when we went out, I would use a like a British accent. And he wouldn't just to gauge, you know, like the the reactions that we would get while we were in the UK. So we would go to like farmers markets and whatnot. And I had this like fake accent I was using and people were generally much warmer to me than they were to my cousin who's speaking in his regular Canadian accent. I don't know why I'd bring that up, but uh, the UK sucks. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm trying to say. The UK sucks. So there's absolutely all the reason for Ali to have existential dread. Um, again, none of that is on the page. There's so much that Morrison says that they they wanted to bring to this book. None of it's actually brought into. Oh, yeah, the, the book. problem is that he's a cipher, and I I believe it is mentioned <laughs> by Ollie himself or his family that he's the artist. What fucking yeah. art does Ollie make? I I never yeah, figured no that out. There is no art. <laughs> like there, there's nothing. The his art is sadness. Only... <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing the that. that the only reason him being an artist matters to, uh, to is uh, his father perceiving him as a fail son, I guess. Because when they're reporting on, you know, like the big abyss that appeared behind his family's uh, business, you know, his dad's like, oh, my, my devout son fell and he was trapped, but my artist son... Uh, help save him and they had like a little tizzy over that but there's nothing about him being an artist that actually matters to the plot nothing not a single thing uh sophia's introduction the arranged bride if you've forgotten already uh is also not done well uh she just shows up while ali's searching for the baby and she, there's not even like a who are you what's your deal anything from Allie when they first meet like th she's just there you know like they they, they quit there and you know here and there but nothing is said until the baby's actually found he saves the baby and he's like wait you're Sophia uh, I love that part because she didn't actually say she's Sophia he just put yeah, it there's together nothing, there's <laughs> literally nothing that says that she's Sophia nothing his family says either they they don't say that she went searching for the baby they just said a woman she or the other woman i think it was that went to go search for the baby so there's no indication there's nothing that says that sophia is sophia in ali's eyes he just says like oh you're sophia i think it would be really funny if she wasn't sophia and she's like no i'm not no i'm sophia's sister yeah yeah, Sophia's like. No, that would actually there. like give it a plot. Yeah, it would. I would actually be doing something fresh uh, with this book, but I guess that was too ahead of the times for 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 Morrison. And yeah, like when they're down there, baby unleashes the great evil Al Shatan, and we get our introduction to the Ultra Hadin, who are summoned by rubbing a lotus. Uh, again rubbing uh rubbing i guess in this case it's a, a lamp you know like you're rubbing a lamp and the genies pop out and the genies are four ultra gods 
Uh, uh, brief... Can I jump in for a second? Go for it. Go, please. <laughs> <laughs> this is another instance of like me knowing more about mythology than than Morrison, and like I, I am not claiming to be any level of expert on uh, Hindu cosmology or or Islam. That's that's not my my aim. I'm saying I, I know a little bit about comparative mythology. And I, I know enough about like these cultures and their relationships with each other that there is something interesting that he, he's not using, right? Like, for example, the Asura come up here, right? And the it, when, when you look at Asura, I don't know much about the Asura. I'd, I'd love to hear about can, that yeah, from I you in a second. Yeah. But there, there's, a, there's a cognate in the roots of the word that very likely have a connection to like Aesir or Asgardians. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you're a white guy. Like, that's something that like you can like chip in on. You can do something with that, right? Same with Al Shatan. Al Shatan has some similarity to Satan. Like, there's there's something that you could do there that you're just not smart enough or not researching. That would have been like a Kirby thing to do, like to connect it to like an over myth idea and all that. Right. 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 Yeah, so it's not getting. I think it's a good point. He's not understanding it in a Kirby way, and he's not understanding it in the East Asian way either. Yeah, and on that note, we might as well talk about it now. Uh, this whole time we've been talking about Morrison, you know, like trying to make this an inherently Muslim book, but believe it or not, almost I'd say ninety nine point nine percent of the mythology that this book builds around is not Muslim at all. It's Hindu. Uh, and when I came to that realization, I had to put down the book and, and just, I, I had a thousand yard stare as I realized what exactly was happening. So, <laughs> Oh Jesus. Christ. Yeah. I read the I... whole book before I, I got to the, before I went back and was like, Oh, he was trying to do something about like Muslim culture or Islam and everything else. Yeah, like, it... I was like, "Wait, what? That was not in there." So, well, I, I felt I... like a fucking idiot too for a second because I was like, "Wait, is there something I'm not seeing here?" Yeah. So, okay, the the two myths that Morrison has played with, uh, like we mentioned before, eighteen days was playing off the Mahabharata. Um, which is, again, another Hindu text. And in this one, he has decided to take another big uh, Hindu text, uh, the Ramayana. And uh, the Ramayana is... Ooh, boy. Okay. lot to unpack here. So here, Morrison is trying to mix the Ramayana and the mythology there with Atlantis, which, first off, doesn't make sense at all, because A, Atlantis is in the Atlantic Ocean. Surprise. Uh, you could have still done point B, which I'm about to make, even in the UK. And point B being, Lemuria is a far better, better mythical sunken city that actually does tie into the Ramayana, um, because it's technically supposed to be the same island as Lanka or Kumarikandam. Uh, in that myth, and again, 
if Atlantis is supposed to be Lanka in the context of this being a Ramayana, you know, remix, if you will, this means that the devils in the book are meant to be Asuras. And who okay, so the Oh god. Okay, so my mom actually hates the Ramayana. Like she she absolutely abhors it because she considers considers it to be an Indo Aryan text. Um just because Rama and Sita are portrayed as fair skinned and she sees like, please research Ramayana if you haven't already. If you and it, it'll also help your viewing experience of RRR, uh, which I'll get into in a bit. But uh, I know a little bit about Ram. Ram I say Ramayana? Yeah, Ramayana or Ramayana. R- Ramayana. But if I'm understanding correctly, like if we try to just summarize in a sense, your mom doesn't like that myth because it's got some nationalist uh, principles behind it. Yeah, it's 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 very much like a, a fair-skinned god goes to save his love from the dark demonic uh, beast king. Ravana is supposed to be like this this Satanist, like you said, he's supposed to be Satan, right? Um, this devil king on on an island full of devils, uh, and Ravana is uh, portrayed as dark skinned. So if you if you connect the connect the, the the lines in the in the background, if you will, and in this one, Ben Rama, our Rama character is. Fairly light skinned. Uh, would would you say that? Would you say that he's very light skinned? Yeah, I mean, I, I, if I'm being completely honest, I feel like one of you guys said like hot dog skin or something. I feel like they kind of drew everybody the same, like in terms yeah. of color. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ra- Ra- like Ben Rama in this book is supposed to evoke that sort of like hindu god in his design like you know like the 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 bun the earring the the hair bun i should say the earrings uh even just like the square jaw and all so oh man jesus like i'm still trying to work my feelings through this We got you. So, like, this is like a double therapy session. Like, me and Serge are like both sitting in like upright chairs, and like you're <laughs> laying back on the big couch, and you, you know, you just you you take your time. Yeah. Okay. So, it's. I mean, okay. So the other thing we have to address is the vimanas. So the vimana are supposed to be the chariots in this book, and it's really funny because the one ultra hadin guy has this like helmet that evokes like a. A Gopuram, which is like um, a type of Vimana. It's like if you look at Hindu temples, they those huge, huge towers. Those are those are Gopurams, and um, you know, like the helmet evokes that. And again, there's a lot of focus on Hindu culture here. Like it, it's almost impressive, even if it is just like a, a, a coat of paint, if you will. But it's it's insulting that so much effort was put into building this around a Hindu myth 
and then calling this book a Muslim book. It's insulting to both sides. Like if you're a Muslim, it's not going to be good for you. If it's, if you're Hindu, it's not going to be good for you. Uh, it's just, it just sucks. It, 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 you're, you're like Morrison and bond are basically mixing sodium with water by trying to say that like Islam and Hinduism are the same thing. Cause that's what, <laughs> that's what it seems like I'm getting here. You know? It's about healing that 9-11 wound between Islam <laughs> the, and the yeah, Hindu the culture. <laughs> the Hindu culture that had nothing to do with either side of 9-11. Uh, I mean, you know, this... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I just... This book was so fucking weird to me for so many reasons, dude. Like, I first read about this book when it was... A few years after it was announced. It had been out for a few years, and I saw this interview where Grant goes... You know, I'm trying to take and do superheroes from a totally different perspective. And, you know, where American superheroes are really, like, powered by, like, you know, the they're all very violent in the way they act, right? Which is true. He goes, but I, I'm thinking, what if I did superheroes powered by love? Which I'm like, oh, okay, like, that could that could be something. And, like, if you just put, if you can somehow just not think about the cultural aspects of this. If you just try to read it as a superhero story, it doesn't even work in that sense. Like there's, there's no like superheroes doing superheroic things. They all just kind of stand around and talk. Like there's no like mesmerizing feats that let the artist really get to like go buck wild. Like even them being powered by love only comes up once when Prince Ben Rama gets rejected by Sophia he's just like oh I'm feeling very weak but like there's so much you could do with being powered by love I mean it, it works with the golden age Wonder Woman stories in, in a different way than than the traditional super like this this book like just to go back to the pacing like it doesn't work in like in in terms of syntax story syntax it's just it goes panel to panel and there's events but there's no there's very little connective tissue nothing Nothing is happening and everything is happening, if that makes sense. Yeah, things just happen. Like, there's that one scene of the, the, the army fighting against the Vimanas, and it's just there. There's nothing. It doesn't get brought up again. And there's the one fucking <laughs> army guy that's like, this is all all your fault, <laughs> Ali, or something. And it's like, it, nothing. There's no reason. For, for that to happens. be there. Yeah, there's no reason for that to be there. It's just there because i guess i don't know morrison felt like putting it there uh well and like there I, is I, this... I, or no go ahead well I, just, I have this high bar for how morrison can do superpowers and make that work for the artist like you know if you look at flex mentalo like part of the like there's all kinds of metatextual elements in that book that are really fun but in flex mentalo like how this dude squeezes his muscles can like alter reality and that's great because you get to see like frank drawing this muscle man in these like really silly muscle man poses and as he's flexing then like you know something can be like popping into reality or like changing shape like that is using the comic book medium like i i would struggle to find a page where the any of these ultra hadin are doing something they just stand like it's it's they're just weird. there they 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 they're just there to proselytize and just like offer like the guy in the orb does nothing he's and the, the guy with the gold helmet doesn't do anything either uh 
it, it's insulting to me because, again, Morrison wrote this at 45. He wrote, they wrote this in 2005. So that by this point, they had written Flex Mentalo, uh, JLA, X-Men. They've, they'd written so many of their iconic runs. And yet the book turned out the way it did. Like, how? How? You know, that's what I'm left wondering. It's like, how does this book exist in the state that it does? And I mean, un- un- unlike uh, Kill Your Boyfriend, which was a one shot, they had three issues to do this. Yeah, and it's very weird with the three issues because I don't know if you guys have heard this about Morrison. I don't know how common this is or not, but like, there's a there's a sort of philosophy with the Morrison book that like, say this will be a five issue, eight issue run, whatever. Like, oh, I'm seven issues into this eight issue run, I'm not seeing where it's going, and then it's like, oh, trust me, bro, it all comes together in issue eight. And I was like, on issue two of this, I had one more issue. I'm like when is he going to like tie all these threads together? When is something cool going to happen? And then I got to the last page of three and I was convinced, okay, there's like a fourth issue that I'm like, yeah. I must have actually skipped something. It's oh, a wreck. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Nothing about this book works. Uh, one other thing about the Hindu thing, I thought it was very funny when they sound this like great horn at the very end. And uh, like the symbol is like a, a musical note that's been styled to look like a swastika. And again, this is a swastika in a Hindu sense, but that's what I mean. It's it's a swastika in a Hindu sense. Like, this is Hindu mythology that they're putting on on display here. Uh, jumping back in time, though. So, <laughs> Ali's role in the first two-thirds of this book, other than surmising about how horrible his life is, is like... Okay, so imagine the book of Genesis, right? And you got, like, Adam and Eve. You know, they're in the for- the Garden of Eden. They're doing whatever, right? And in the background, there's just this, this guy named Dave just chilling. And he's just complaining about how, how shitty his life is. That's what this book is. You know, like, and Dave's, so... Dave's dad and Dave's brother are, like, also being equally weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. And... It boggles my mind because, like, for the majority of this, it's just him being passive about the things going on around him. And I, again, this also, I guess, ties back to Kill Your Boyfriend, where, you know, like, girl is also very passive in the events that happen around her while remarking on that. If 10 years between those books, and that element hasn't changed. And then two thirds of the way through this book. One of the craziest things that I've seen put to page happens, and I genuinely could not believe that Morrison thought that this was, I don't, I don't know, okay to write? Uh, just a good idea? Uh, so, early on in the book, Ali says that if his bride is ugly, he's going to hang himself, and he has a noose in his pocket. His brother even remarks, hey, dude, what the fuck? Why do you have a noose in your pocket? And then later in the book, when he realizes that, you know, like, oh, Sophia's probably fated to be with Ben Rama or whatever. He goes home and he hangs himself. Why did he? What the fuck? 
Why did he go hang himself? Oh, Jesus. Oh. Do you guys have thoughts? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> just, I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm losing my mind here. And oh. I think the other part that makes it weird is like that like the dad has a heart attack. And they all die at the exact same time. It's so comedic because he hangs himself, his brother falls into a coma, and then his dad briefly dies of angina. Yeah, and like... Is that the weird comedy? I guess, is that the weird... So you're just like, this is left field, and then he's like, but wait, there's more. (laughs) The whole family dies. You get three for one. I feel like... All the moments of violence in this are, or like, you know, violence or like harm are just out of left field. Because the rest of it seems like, even if it's like a huge invasion, it doesn't seem really like a violent comic. Except for like these random moments when like, like they have like the parliament, I guess that's what you call the ruling body in England. And he pulls off one of the heads and makes him kiss. And like, you're just like, why is this happening? That's the one page. It just kind of moves on. I I actually really like that page. It doesn't need to be there, but I like it. I thought it was really like funny. Where, um, yeah. It's like um, all the, the violence page? in this. Oh, no. Let's... I was going to say there's this like this anarchist type character who throws a Molotov cocktail. And one of the uh, the devils like gr- <laughs> like catches it and drinks out of it like a little shot glass. Yeah. That's yeah, a good moment. You know, like. I... <laughs> there's a lot of moments where I'm like, this is I can't tell if this is just good or bizarre in the context of the comic. Yeah, and I can't even appreciate it because it's like there's so many of them. I mean, there is definitely Morrison has this strange technique where he like will intentionally make an important action to the story happen off panel or in between panels, and there is a way you can do that that is really clever and makes the action flow quickly. There's another way you can do that that is disorienting for the sake of disorienting. And ends up making all the cool shit I would love to see illustrated by someone as talented as Philip Bond just not happen. And and then you're just wishing, like, wait, I wanted to see that cool thing. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, like the, the you said the the page with the um the politicians. Like that one guy gets his head ripped out of his body, and then he like makes the two politicians kiss. Like, it's really amusing and it's funny, and it's like really visceral violence. But like there's no punches thrown in this book. Like even when characters fire lasers at each other, like the script somehow calls for a way to like not show the impacts, you know, it's, it's very yeah. avoidant in this weird sense. Yeah, I mean, then... like that would be brilliant if it again was trying to tell the human interest story. I think it thinks it's telling, but you know, then you have like the kid hang himself and you're just like, I'm not. As, that, I, I feel bad because I'm not invested in his life, but right. I want you know, you know yeah. what I mean? like, but, like but I should feel when, worse when about happens, this than still I like, do. Fucked up. You're like, oh, I don't. I didn't really care for the character before, but why the fuck yeah. are you going kill him? And, and him killing himself is so strange because he's going to kill himself because presumably his wife will be ugly. But this girl he's known for like 24 hours has not even professed her love to Ben Rama. He just assumes she is and he's babbling and she's understandably confused. Then he goes and, and kills himself. Like it's not I that it's second hand like... embarrassment. I'm sorry. It's just, I get second hand embarrassment from that line of thinking. 
it feels very much like Morrison going through the motions of romantic comedies, right? Romantic comedies yeah. need to have this huge misunderstanding <laughs> where someone could have said the one thing that would have cleared the air and made everything fine, but instead a big misunderstanding happens. And instead of that big misunderstanding being like an argument where the characters need to at least be authentic, like that's something that a romantic comedy can do really well. Instead, he just does this like head trip thing where Ollie kills himself and like Serge says, oh, my whole family's here in the afterlife isn't that neato like yeah. it just all so like forced and it, the last thing i'll say about the romance comedies is i don't think morrison cares or particularly enjoys romance comedies but he's trying to do rom-coms because like he knows that that's kind of a staple in like hindu cinema but again it's like dude like you're phoning this in you don't actually care about that if you liked uh you know, some of these musicals and these rom-coms from there, like it would show you're just going through the motions. Yeah. This, I like, think if the, if the point was to make this like a, a an Indian cinema, Bollywood type, you know, like film, it, it's a failure in that regard too. It's just right. nothing about this works. Nothing. <laughs> I think what makes it even funnier was like, you know, she, he hangs himself. Right. And she's at the same time telling Ben Rama, that he she wants to stay with Ali, and then he gets like the shit kicked out of him by a bunch of leaves getting blown away, blown out of because he's lost <laughs> his power of love. And you're just like, like you're not even able to like appreciate these moments because then you're like, go to the next scene, you're like, oh, Ali killed himself, and you're like, what? This is like a whiplash, and you're not able yeah. to like, process anything. <laughs> you're, and again, things just happen. There's no like sort of good transition between any of these moments so you're just left like it's like you're in a roller coaster and you're just forced to take in what's happening without any sort of ability to to like stop and be like hey why did this happen why why are we doing this and the afterlife segment gets me because that is where Morrison, for some reason, decides to deviate away from the Kirby aspects, away from every other aspect to go into something that they're more familiar with, which is metatext. And the metatext here doesn't work at all. Like, the there's that one page where uh, Ali, you know, like, reaches out of the panel to, to flip the page, and I rolled my eyes so hard at that it, this it, it, like it feels amateurish even by morrison's uh ver <laughs> i wanted to say morrison standards but like just i don't know it it it, it honestly feels like the monorama was a book that morrison wrote when they were like 15 or 16 you know and found at the age of 45 and was like yeah you know what i can probably get an artist on this and, you know, shipped it out to Vertigo. Because, like, I still can't believe that the meta text is this weak in a book that came out, like, seven years after, or not even seven years, like, more than that, after Flex Mentallo and all those books. Yeah, it feels... Hell, even, it's almost like 20, no, 15 years since Animal Man. Right? It feels, yeah, about... It feels very desperate, like, because it's like, again, I really wanted to believe this is going somewhere. And then 
like you said, this is something that Morrison is, he's more in his wheelhouse when like Ollie is in the afterlife and like seeing reality from a higher perspective, seeing himself in greater context. And he's, you know, if there's a lot of wordplay here with like how the words are juxtaposed with the images, like it's, it's a great mm. showcase for Bond. Bond's doing some really cool stuff here, but the, yeah. the nature of like, the spoken word and the written word, how those juxtapose, how that can be related to magic and, and faith oh. and the nature of the universe. It's not that those are interesting ideas. Those are sacred ideas. It's that Morrison does that in such a better way in all those other books you mentioned. And here he's like, oh, fuck, fuck, I got to conclude this book. OK, I'll just do my old trick again. Like he doesn't know what else to do here. Yeah, it's it's a pretty much just like pulling out the old reliable, <laughs> right, right. As an as a Deus Ex Machina of sorts. Um, right. It also it, just like, feels like, um, it, it's like he Grant Morrison was like trying to do like, you know, like again the experiment of a hero of love and like you know in a different culture, and then had to like try to inflate it to do more almost, and like kind of lost the thread because it like becomes like this weird War of the Worlds type. You know, like we say quasi superhero journey, but it's like, like it doesn't do any of these things, right? So it's just kind of left being <laughs> not satisfying with any of these cat things he's trying to toy with. Yeah. Well, I think that's. And then. Oh, God. And then somehow, uh, for reasons, again, everything is just for reasons, like Ali becomes Ben Rama by the end, which, like, I had wanted to to see, but, like, you know, he shows it on the, the, the page, but it doesn't feel earned. It doesn't make sense in any way. So then by the there's time... There's no passing of the arms. Yeah, yeah, There's nothing that indicates that Ben Rama, like, first off, died or, like, moved on or anything, but... Well, we show it. And again, it's 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 perfectly how Serge said it. Like, you know, when Ben Rama is, like, being hit by the leaves and it hurts, like, that's really funny. But, like, you don't get to enjoy it or laugh at it because the tone is shifting so fast. So that's yeah. the weird thing is we do see the passing of the torch. We do see this these pages with Ben Rama like it's after the turning of the page where Ben Rama like passes the mantle to to Ali, but it doesn't feel like it makes sense and it doesn't it doesn't hit. Nothing hits, nothing lands. So by the time when we see Ali like wearing the costume, it's like, "Wait, I wanted to see this two issues ago. Like why is this here now?" And it's, again, not clear what the powers are, what the responsibilities are, how this will change his life. It's it's all flash and, like, no ramifications. Ha-ha. <laughs> no Vimano ramifications. <laughs> hey, oh. um, So one last thing I want to say is the use of Arabic script in both Vimanorama and Kill Your Boyfriend. Uh, so throughout the book, you see... A lot of script that, again, it's tough to say in certain panels, but a lot of it does look like Arabic script. Um, I consulted my my coalition of uh, Arabic script speaking, like Arabic script language speaking uh, folks, friends, uh, and I basically asked them, "Hey, what does this say?" <laughs> And just to get an idea of like which language they're using, I think in Vimanorama and Vimanorama's case, they're using Urdu because you know the characters are Pakistani. But again, it doesn't make sense because Urdu, Urdu is Pakistani, and you know 
these are Hindu characters, so at the very least, they would probably be using something closer to like Farsi or. Well, Farsi I think it's safe to say Grant Morrison does not know the difference. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that Morrison knows or even cares about like the Arabic script using the year. Again, it's all window dressing. But the funny yeah. thing is, in Kill Your Boyfriend, there's this part where girl is having sex with one of the artists, the mischief makers, whatever, the Billy. And you see that Billy has a back tattoo. And the back tattoo is written in Arabic script. So I pet, I, you know, I took a screenshot, I passed it around, and be like, hey, what is this saying? I haven't been able to fully figure it out yet. But f- again, f- the, what the coalition tells me is that uh, it is very likely that it says goat fucker or cow fucker in either Urdu, Farsi, or Arabic. <laughs> that would Amazing. be genius if morrison was like making a comment on people like appropriating cultures but it ends up being like the most unintentional commentary on morrison's writing style yeah again like it would be funny if morrison himself was not as grossly orientalist in their work as as they were i just but yeah, I I figured I, I might as well bring that up. I'll I'll put the uh, I'll put the tattoo in the show notes just in case any viewer wants to take their own uh, stab at, at at what it actually says. Yeah, we're having a midnight grappler animals contest. Send in your best guess <laughs> with a prize. Learn Urdu and <laughs> win a prize. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much all i have to say on the monorama bad book uh i can't believe it exists uh everyone involved in this book should feel ashamed that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> i'm pretty sure this one was actually the book that porn sack show was uh involved with oh it's um, so funny oh uh, yeah that's what makes it even funnier right the good asian <laughs> yeah the good asian this is the uh less than mediocre asian if you will the subpar asian well, i mean I, I have one thing I want to say about, about Grant before we, we close out, because I alluded to this before. It's like, Grant really, when I, when I first discovered Grant Morrison's work, Morrison really appealed to me because there there was this contention with philosophies and other cultures and, and a politics of sort too. Like, you know, I was really opposed to the, the Iraq war and Morrison was, you know, his brand at the time was very much, oh, I'm a pacifist. My dad was a soldier, but I, I oppose war. And in the last few years, it's just that is not the same Morrison. Morrison is like really shed all of that. Like, I don't know what Morrison's about anymore. And it, you know, a little bit of it is is me like investing too much and like caring about someone else having a parasocial relationship. But I think it's really interesting too that like it it does tie deeply into both books where like you know I contain multitudes, right? I can be a riot girl, I can be a dyke, whatever. But then even in that interview we gave about Grant's pronouns, Grant says, like, don't try to put me in a box. I'll let you down. And so it's like, cool, dude. All right. (laughs) Well, I'll say for sure. You let me down on this one, Grant. You really let me down. Yeah. I kind of want to mention mimetic colonialism because, you know, I just remember that phrase. Grant Morrison put in one of their Substack posts. Do you guys remember that? No, please no, elaborate. I, I have Grant, not been reading. <laughs> Grant Morrison in Superman and the Authority annotations 
um, they were talking with um, Philip K. Johnson about like, Friend I guess the, the fact that Superman can yeah, like go and like go and like free other countries, but like, so I'm gonna read the paragraph actually. Please, you know, please, please. Um, it's two paragraphs here. Um, using a kids event kids adventure heroes to make hackneyed observations about typical human being behavior does not in fact apply to makeup comic characters. Strikes me as I don't know. Whimsical, dilettantish, a squandering of energy and creativity. This is personal bias, but the desire to compel fantasy worlds to conform to the allegedly superior rules of grim reality can feel to me like a form of mimetic colonialism that I generally found distasteful and which I found myself rebelling against since I got started in the U.S. monthly comics in the late 80s with Animal Man. So he's basically talking about how, like, what? The advantage of Superman and the Authority, because comic ends with them going to another world to go free from a dictator right it's like you know they're, they're free of colonial discourse and that really struck me as i read this again like oh okay you you just don't understand this concept like your whole life yeah. you've never understood this mimetic colonial mimetic colonialism Wait, I'm, I'm sorry like i'm so grateful you mentioned this because i did not know this quote and this is this kind of feels like the keystone to everything we're talking about here <laughs> It does is if I'm understanding correctly, is Morrison calling like readers and critics the colonizers? What what the fuck is he saying there? I believe that's like what they're doing is that like I think well what he's criticizing I think in the longer um, Substack so I don't get it wrong is um the idea of casting them as antiheroes or monsters or like dragging like putting them. In, on the side of like colonialist viewpoints is horrible because they're heroes. They're just inspired and this and that. And yeah, I think about that a lot now with a story like this. God damn. Just, you know, like I, I, in the back of my head, I was like, okay, you know, like this was 2005. Maybe Morrison has actually learned something even since, 18 days in Avatar Rex, you know, like maybe Morrison's actually learned something <laughs> about, you know, like Orientalism or anything, you know, like, and God, this is Substack. So like what, a year ago at the very max? Yeah, this was February 16th, 2022. Almost a year ago. Jesus. Uh, mm. What a note. <laughs> what I think is a good note to end on, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is, like, I think almost everything else we've covered, it's like, oh, this was really cool. I mean, like, even, uh, even, fuck, the, um, the Higgins book with the, the, the Toku hero. Oh, Radiant Black. Even Radiant Black, it was like, I can see what you're trying to do here. I could revisit this and see some growth. Like, this is the first, and we will. Yeah, yeah, we will. This is the first episode that was, like, fucking downer for everybody involved I mean, everybody. <laughs> yeah not a single redeeming element here <laughs> uh, one one other one last passing comment i want to make i totally understand how and why morrison would like rrr now that's mm-hmm. all i'm gonna say that's all i'm gonna say yeah uh well uh surge before we do our closeout you got any plugs anything you want to cover um no no this is great that's it I don't got anything going on right now. I loved having you on, man. This was so yeah, much fun. Great. Yeah, this what's was a blast. Your, what's your Twitter so people can follow you? Oh, yeah, I should probably plug that. Um, I am at 
the T-H-E-E, Fantomas, F-A-N-T-O-M-A-S. And yeah, that's where I'm at. Well, awesome. It was great having you on. It's always fun having guests on to delve into the murks, murky depths with us. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, well, well, we'd love to have you back. Uh, Absolutely. Hopefully something about better than, than both the books we read. <laughs> It'll be hard to find something worse. That's all I can yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah this uh you know dear reader well we, we also have something better for you coming in the future we promise mm-hmm. uh if you would like to follow either one of us as well you can follow lan at lan tweets l-a-n-t-w-e-e-t-s or if you would like to follow myself salt m bank s-a-l-t-m-b-a-n-k all three of us are on twitter if you'd like to email the show, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> if you'd like to contact the show with questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us midnight midnight grappler animals at gmail.com. All one word, spelled like the pod. We have a Discord. We can link to that in our show notes. And uh, give us a review. We haven't asked for that yet. If if you have yeah. a, a podcast <laughs> listening to App of Choice, I, I would be so grateful for a review. I'll give you a little something. something I have no idea do. what reviews do but it would be great for our egos at the very least uh, for us to for you to review us positively you know talk about how we opened your eyes to the threat of mimetic colonialism and really talked about (laughs) expanding your 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 mind to various cultures some some shit just right just review us positively please (laughs) yeah the the show is still free so you know you can you can consider that like your uh your your payment um Mm. Yeah, uh, we'll uh, we'll link a Discord that we have. And other than that, hey, thank you for joining us. We'll bring you a better comic or movie next time. Oh, yes, we will. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 